Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. So this morning we continue our series on one another. I want to start by showing you this picture here. This is a, this is a great picture uh, and it's one of my favourite pictures uh, I don't know if you can tell, but that is me on the, the, the shoulder of my dad. That's my sister. It actually looks like my oldest daughter, if you, if you know my oldest daughter. And my dad is eating noodles. No, he's eating spaghetti bolognese or spaghetti, as any good Italian would. Uh, he's got a pretty big mouth and he's pretty big. Probably, I hope he chewed that because that's actually quite a lot of pasta there. Um, but this, 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 this photo makes me very emotional. It, it brings memories of family, of gathering, of, of coming around the table, of belonging, of connecting. And uh, whether it be that table at my house or, or tables at my grandparents' or my nuna's house, there's always this similar feeling. It was a place of safety, it was a, unless you hadn't done your homework and dad found out, but it was a place of safety, it was a place of love, a place of care and a place of food. Um, and, and you can just be yourself. I've never done that pose ever since that photo, by the way. Um, but it's a beautiful picture. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you have pictures like that. Uh, it's funny because I was looking through my Facebook uh, uh, feed and I saw this photo. Of, obviously, I've got this one of my dad. But then I saw this one of my son. And, and not too much has changed. Uh, there are some similarities there. He's probably actually trying to bite off more than, than, than his nunno. Uh, but again, around the table, so much joy, so much love, so much acceptance um, in, in when it comes to family. There's an Italian sailing, saying, a tavolo non si evecchi. Now that means uh, at the table, you don't get old. You may have heard me talk about that phrase before, that at the table, you do not get old. You may get fat, but you don't get old. And simply put, what it means is that, that Italians don't eat alone. That at the table, you're surrounded by family and friends. That at the table is a place of belonging and love. That at the table, you can enjoy good health and happiness into old age. In the Italian culture, you would know life revolves around the table. The primary love language of, uh, of an Italian family is food and gathering around the table to eat and to drink, to laugh and to cry. The smell of coffee, the smell of food, the smell of wine. At the table there is laughter and, and love, there is conversations and, and the sharing of dreams. At the table there are celebrations and rejoicing, there are arguments and disagreements because no Italian has ever been wrong. There is sadness and there's also grief. If someone got hurt or sick, if there was a crisis, it would, be, it would be discussed at the table. If someone had a baby, it wouldn't happen at the table, but they'd be rejoicing and celebrating around the table. If somebody bought a new house or started a new job or, or had a birthday, if someone passed away or died, we would come and sit around the table. It all happens around the table. Why? Because this, not this table, but that place of coming together around the table is a place of belonging and happiness and love. So when I think about one another, when I think about community, I, I think about a table. 
When I think about belonging, I think about a table. When I think about acceptance and love, I think about the table. When I think about friendship and family, I think about the table. And actually, I know the Italians want to try to claim it, but actually it's not unique to Italians, is it? It's probably, I would say, uh, um, un- accepted in all cultures. If we look at this photo here, here's a, a family in the Philippines connecting and sitting around the table. It's a universal experience that acceptance and belonging happens around the table. This photo here of uh, some Afghani women, uh, now their table is a sheet or a cloth, but they're accepted and there's belonging and there's connection. A traditional Indian family here and uh, uh, eating, connecting, I think they're banana leaves maybe, or, or, but, but it's belonging and acceptance. And then you have the Aussies, who are <laughs> just around the barbie. Uh, there's acceptance and belonging and emu export, but that's, that's what it is. It's not unique to the Italians, it's actually a universal principle that in all cultures, that something happens when we sit around a table, relationships are nourished, and the table forces, forces you to connect on some level. You know when you're sitting around the table and someone doesn't want to be there, don't you? You can tell whether they're ignoring you, you can tell whether there's an issue, because around the table you're, you're forced to connect on some level. Can you picture the table for you? What's your table? I just want you to spend 30 seconds while this rain is coming down. Go to your table. Is it when you're a child or is it your current table now? Is everyone still awake? Just raise your hand so I know you can hear me because this rain is really loud. Can you think of your table? Hands up if you can think of your table. Hands up if it was a childhood table. You've got real good memories of a childhood table. Hands up if it's your current table now where you belong and connect very good. Here's a quote, and I think it's a really interesting quote by the guy that named Simon Carey Holt. He's actually a theologian, and also he's actually a trained professional chef. Look what he says. He says, it's through the daily practice of the table that we live a life worth living. Through the table, we know who we are, where we come from, what we value and believe. At the table, we learn what it means to be family and how to live in responsible, loving relationships. Through the table, we live our our neighbourhoodness and our citizenship, express our alliance to particular places and communities and claim our sense of home and belonging. At the table, we celebrate beauty and express solidarity with those who are broken and hungry. Those who are broken and hungry. I want to suggest to us this morning that, that the table is, is, is so connected to us being one another, but actually the table mirrors the character of God. The table actually mirrors the character of God. You know, Jewish thought and Jewish practice had this, this concept of what was called the Mikdash Miat. The Mikdash Miat. Turn to the person next to you and say, Mikdash Miat, without spitting on them. Well, that is translated, it means mini temple. 
Now for Jewish people, uh, uh, the temple was where what? Where God dwelt. You would go and offer sacrifices where worship would happen, where community would happen at the temple. And, and what they would refer to as the uh, mini temple was actually the home. It says that the dinner table in Jewish culture is like the temple service. The table's purpose is to help people have a relationship with each other and with God. We see this in the life of Jesus. Don't we? We see in the life of Jesus, Jesus would connect through food all the time. It's amazing Jesus wasn't 500 kilos because when we look through the Gospels, all he did was eat. He performed miracles and, and did that, but he ate a lot. He would connect with people with food. He would sit and eat and, and eat food. He would come together around the table, which was generally on the floor in that time and in that context. And in fact, he would get in trouble by the religious people a lot because of the people he chose to eat with. They, they did not like who Jesus ate food with. In fact, they despised Jesus because of the people he chose to eat with. Do we know the story of Zacchaeus? I love the story of Zacchaeus for obvious reasons. Um, Jesus was coming to, to this village and Zacchaeus is referred to as a little guy, a short guy, but he's also a tax collector. He's Jewish, but he's a tax collector. So he collects taxes for Rome. So, so, so by other Jews, he would be seen as a traitor because he's working for, for the, the oppressor. And not only that, his uh, tax collectors were probably uh, considered thieves because they would make their money by putting their GST on what the, the Roman government, they could put any amount, any GST amount on, on whatever they want. So they could, they could get more and more and they became rich and wealthy. So they were despised, hated, they were, they were kind of, no one liked the tax collector. That was Zacchaeus. And we read a story that Jesus was going to Zacchaeus' town and, and Zacchaeus hears about it and he wants, to, he wants to see Jesus. You know this story, don't you? And Jesus comes in and there's a massive crowd, people everywhere. And poor little Zacchaeus, it says, he's kind of like trying to just, if only I can have a look at Jesus. I know what that's like. It's, it's horrible. It's, it's really bad. It's painful on the calves. And he's trying to see Jesus. And so what do we read? He, he runs up, he sees this tree and he climbs up on this sycamore tree and he puts himself on, the, on a branch because he just wants to see Jesus because Jesus had thousands of people flocking to him. We kind of forget that. Anyway, the rest of the story is uh, uh, Jesus is walking along this road uh, as people are kind of cheering and he stops at the tree and he looks up. I don't know what would be going through Zacchaeus' mind. His heart was probably pumping because he, he knows that he works for the Romans. He knows that he's a thief. He knows that he's stealing money. He knows that he's working, you know, he's, he's a traitor. And Jesus stops and looks up and he actually knows his name. He says, hey, Zacchaeus. Again, who knows what would have gone through his mind? What's going on? I'm coming to your house for lunch. And he it doesn't say he fell out of the tree, but he probably fell out of the tree, jumped out of the tree and went off. And, and, and it, th this rabbi, this Jesus guy has come into my house for lunch. I'm, I'm dirt. I'm, I'm bad. Everyone else around there would have been thinking, why would Jesus go to Zacchaeus' house? Why would he, 
A little bit rude, self-inviting himself. But anyway, that's, that's another story. But he says, he goes to Zacchaeus' house and, and, and Zacchaeus has this transformation. He responds to Jesus and he actually says he's going to give all his money back plus some because he experiences Jesus. Where does he experience Jesus? Around the table. Around the table. And so in that culture, to sit at the table with someone was to extend to that person acceptance. So Zacchaeus felt accepted by Jesus. Zacchaeus felt loved by Jesus. Zacchaeus felt protected by Jesus. And there was friendship. In that culture, when you ate with someone, when you sat, oh, that is so good. Easy, boy. Relax. You're extending that you're accepted. You're extended that you love. You're extended that there's protection and friendship. And that's what Jesus was saying to Zacchaeus. Look at this other quote here. Uh, Brennan Manning in, in the book uh, um, Ragamuffin Gospel, he writes this, to share a meal with someone is a, is a guarantee of peace, trust, fraternity, and forgiveness. The shared table symbolizes a shared life. For a Jewish man to say, I would like to have dinner with you, or I'm going to your house for lunch, is a metaphor implying I would like to enter into friendship with you. We are same. We are together. That's what we do when we eat around the table. We come, there's no barriers, race, gender, wealth. We are the same. We're accepted. So how does this relate to our one, one another series? Well, well, I think this, this table thing is all about one anotherness. But let's have a look at the actual passage. One verse, 1 Peter 4, 9, it says this. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Some translations say show hospitality to one another without complaining. Hospitality is generally opening your house for people to come and eat, to be fed and, and maybe to sleep and, and, and find shelter. But it's about the table. Hospitality is about the table, saying we are the same level. Come in and, and, and enjoy. You're accepted and you belong. I love the New Living Translation here. It puts it this way. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. What a great way of, of, of translating it. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. So Peter, the, the, the apostle who's writing this, is, is saying, hey, Christians, the one another is us as Christians, we are to do this. We're to show hospitality to each other. Why? Because when we do that, it mirrors God. Why when we do that? Because when we do that, we're on the same level. We're all one in Christ. When we do that, there's relationship with each other and with God. Uh, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Here's a funny little quote. Uh, it says, some folks make you feel at home, others make you wish you were. Um, I don't know if you've experienced that. I have to admit, I'm not a very good guest. I've been a, a very good, not a guest, I'm a great guest. Um, what's that? When, host, host. Siobhan's great at it. I tend to turn off the lights and go to bed. And, and they're like, where's he gone? He's gone to the toilet. I'm sleeping on bed. So maybe I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. But, but we want to express, my house is your house. Come, share, be. We are one. We are one. Um, Max Licato, he relates this passage, if you don't know him, he's a pastor and theologian. He talks about uh, before the church got its kind of structure, uh, 
Obviously, a lot of the church structure came from the synagogue as well. There was that, that tradition that came out of that. Before he says there was pulpits and, and baptistries, he said the church had kitchens and dinner tables. The church, the early church, you see it in the Gospels uh, or the epistles, but then you also see it in, um, in early church history. The church had kitchens and dinner tables. That most of the church's function happened in homes. The primary gathering uh, for the place of the church was at, around the table. And one of the main commandments is to love one another. An expression of loving, a practical expression of loving one another is actually to show hospitality to one another. And so this is what Peter is. He's saying we are to show hospitality to one another. Last week, if there's a picture here, we had our... Um, multicultural lunch it seemed really quiet now doesn't it we had a multicultural lunch and while it wasn't at someone else's house it was an expression of hospitality people brought I probably ate too much of that uh, vegetarian curry by the way uh, but it was beautiful um, people came and they and they brought different foods there was connection wasn't there there was discussion there was that is church that is church that is hospitality one another right there what we had last Sunday we're all on the same level. People are talking. Maybe you spoke to someone you haven't met before. Hands up if you did. Okay, you just ate and, uh, yeah, <laughs> filled your face and plate with food. But I found, like, I, I spent a bit of time with some people that I don't always spend a lot of time with because when you come around the table, that's what, what, what actually happens. Um, showing love. The practical expression of showing love is, is, is showing hospitality. Here's a question to personalise it. When is the last time you invited someone into your house? When is the last time you invited someone into your house? And some, people may, some people are very good at this and it's almost a, it's a spiritual gift. Some people definitely have a spiritual gift in this area, but it's a commandment for all of us. When is the last time you invited someone into your house for a meal to connect? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably talking beyond just general friends. And then that's good as well, because that brings uh, this one anotherness. But when is the last time um, community happens there, church happens there, and when you sit around the table, when you show hospitality, invite people into your house, it actually mirrors the heart of God. But I want to say also that something else is going on. Yes, it's about connecting and, and bringing people to your house. And not, I don't want to use the word entertain, because sometimes... I don't even know, like we kind of have to make everything look good. It doesn't have to look good. This means just, hey, what is mine is yours. Come in, enjoy, you're accepted and you belong. But something deeper is going on in, 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 in this command to have hospitality or show hospitality. Now, in the New Testament time, this hospitality was very, very important, especially for the spirit of the gospel. There weren't uh, hotels and caravan parks. There were a few inns and People would maybe stay, but it was maybe a little bit dangerous or even costly. So when Christians that were spreading the gospel, they would go from city to town, and where would they stay? They would stay at other Christians' houses. They would be invited in, come, come and stay with us, eat, eat, complete strangers. In fact, some, some scholars have suggested um, that with, without that demonstration of hospitality, that the gospel wouldn't have spread uh, as quickly, it may have taken a longer, if not, if not at all. Now, obviously, we know the Spirit of God is moving and working, and we can hamper that, but this, this actual uh, 
aspect of, of Christian hospitality enhanced the spreading of the gospel. Because when they went around, they invited people, you stay here for a few nights and then you can go out and preach. And maybe you've experienced that. I've been fortunate enough to, to go to different places and, and uh, because I'm a bit cheap, we don't always go to hotels, or, but we're invited into other people's homes. Sometimes you don't even know them, but there's this bond. What is that bond? It's the Spirit. It's, it's Jesus. And actually, it's more enriching than, than sometimes staying at a, a hotel. Maybe you don't get the spa and the massage, but, but you get all that connection and, and the, the, the family and the love. And you would have, I know if you've had it, you would have experienced that. Um, let's have a look at another passage building on this aspect of hospitality. This one here it comes to us now uh, from Romans 12, 13. And this one's a little bit, it doesn't have the one another phrase, but it says, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. So again, this sharing aspect is connected to hospitality, but then it says we had to practice it. Practice hospitality. Really good verse. That's the NIV translation, I think. A better translation, instead of the word practice, let's scrub that word out, word out practice, is probably the word pursue. Uh, Paul is writing this, uh, uses the Greek word, which lends itself more to pursue than practice. NIV uses the word practice. But pursue has a, a slightly different meaning, doesn't it? Pursue has more of an intentional aspect. Practice does a little bit, but pursue means to chase after. In fact, this word has this, this feeling of chasing after aggressively, to grab, to, to catch, to take down, almost to harass, um, to seek after eagerly and earnestly. And so, so, so look at that. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Pursue hospitality. There's a real intentionality. Go after hospitality with, with people, not just practice it, but really pursue it. It needs to be active. It needs to, to be real. And, and then we have the other word, hospitality. And that's the Greek word there. And I'm sure Peter can pronounce it uh, uh, really well. But there's two aspects of that Greek word. The first one is phileo, or phileo which means that brotherly love or connection, friendship, or, or, or special attention, or showing special attention to someone. And the second one is this, we get this uh, uh, xenos, Xenos meaning stranger, but the term you would have heard of um, xenophobia means to be what? Afraid of, or, or almost racist, I suppose, but uh, not, not wanting to connect with other cultures or other groups. There's a fear of, of, of other cultures and, and, and other people. And so this is actually, the word hospitality has this aspect of showing friendship, if you look at the next slide there, or entertaining strangers or showing love to strangers. Now, this is in a Christian context. So if you have a Christian stranger, then you are to show hospitality. That's what, that's what that actually is saying. So it's more than just the people we know. It's actually uh, a, a deeper aspect of hospitality than, than that. Um, that we entertain strangers. That we show love to strangers. I remember we, um, over the many years, we've had... American imported lightning players stay at our house and, and live with us for six months and, and, um, and they've all been great and uh, they don't tend to clean their room but it's, it's been all a real life-giving experience. There was one, uh, one of our imports who was an African-American, Devon Atkinson, great guy, 
and he used to call me Pops for some reason, and he'd call Siobhan Mums. I don't know why the plural, but Pops and Mums. Uh, all the time I'm like, come on, man, don't call me Pops, you're making me feel old. Um, but he was a great guy. And, and, and the reason why I want to say the, state the fact that he was African-American, before we had Americans who weren't African-Americans, uh, but there was a cultural difference. Yes, there was the American aspect, but then there was the African-American, and, and that enriched us. And, and we got to experience that. He got to experience our, our family and our culture and our hospitality. Although I was a little bit concerned when he, uh, he had a tattoo on his arm and Josiah asked him how old he was when he got it, and he said 13. And I was like, oh, gee, uh, don't, maybe not tell them that one, Devon. Uh, <laughs> he's like, Devon got a tat when he was 13. I'm going to get one. Um, but there was a richness in that. It really was. Different cultures. Uh, and, and he was a stranger. But within half an hour, he was part of our family. Isn't that weird how that can happen? Why? Because of this. It's this, this aspect here. Now, if you notice the first one we looked at, the Peter passage, there was... There was this command to have hospitality with one another, but there was, there was also an instruction to do it without what? Grumbling or complaining. You know, it's almost like, if you're going to grumble, don't. Oh, such and such. Oh, I don't want them to come over. Oh, why do we have to do... It's, don't. You need to do it cheerfully, without grumbling, without complaining. And I think uh, one of the ways we can... Uh, help ourselves by showing hospitality without grumbling or complaining is to, to ask one question. And the answer to this question will depend whether you can do it without grumbling or complaining. And that question is, who owns everything? So, so depending on how you answer that question, who owns everything? Who owns your house? Who owns your car? Who owns your, your talents? Who owns your time? If you answer that question, will depend on whether you can really out play this, this passage. Now, you, uh, Psalm 50 talks about God, uh, every, every animal on the hill or every animal in the forest and the, the cattle on a thousand hills is mine and, and we get this concept that God owns everything. But you might say, well, hang on a sec. I'm the one that goes to work. God doesn't go to work. I'm the one that went to university and studied and got this and that. Well, God gave you those talents and the, those abilities. God gave you the ability to work. God gave you the mind to think. And in fact, God keeps you alive right now. And in fact, if God wants not, you not to go any further, he'll just turn off, pull out the plug. So, so God, in the big picture, God owns everything. And so when we come to that conclusion, well, actually, who owns everything? God owns everything. God owns everything that I have. My time, my treasure, as in my wealth, my resources, my, my thinking, my, all that. God owns that. If that is our mindset, then we can put this into practice a lot easier. Because then we move to, actually, I don't own it. I steward it. I steward it. What is stewardship? A steward is, it all belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. Everything that I have belongs to God. And a steward is someone who manages the assets manages the assets of someone else. So my responsibility, whatever God has given me, maybe God's given me this pile here and maybe God's given someone else, a, 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 but it's, it doesn't matter. God has given me the uh, responsibility to manage my pile. It's his pile. He's given it to me. And so I need to manage it. I need to look after it. 
He does say, you know, you can have some for yourself to look after your family and you got to, you know, and then you can even say, he talks about saving some and, and to give some away and to, to, but also that is, it's not mine, it's God's. Everything. So when we have a concept or an understanding, a mindset that God owns everything, it's not my house that they're coming to, it's God's house. It's not my bed they're sleeping in, it's God's bed. It's not my food they're eating, it's God's food. We are just to steward it. Then we can do or show or pursue hospitality without grumbling and complaining. As soon as it becomes ours, oh my gosh, he's taking his shoes off. What's he doing? He's eating, he's eating my favorite. He's drinking out of the bottle. Don't drink out of the bottle. I don't care if it is God's. If you drink out of the bottle at my house, you're getting, you're getting told not to drink out of the bottle. But you know what I mean? When it's ours and we hold it like this, it makes it really hard to even show hospitality, let, let alone show it without grumbling and um, complaining. I want to show you this part. Next slide here. Where to pursue and to show hospitality. And there's two aspects I just want to, and we're not breaking these down, is, is we do that firstly with one another, meaning our congregation. We do it, uh, we, we love each other, we, we connect around the table, we invite people over. We, we see if they need things. We, we connect as a community and belonging because when we do that, it mirrors God. But the next one, I really want to encourage us to do this. We want to show or pursue hospitality with those who are different to you. Practice hospitality. Chase hospitality with those who look different to you. Who are different to you. Who come from a different area than you. Who grew up from a different place than you. This is where hospitality can be, it enriches everyone. And in fact, this is a picture of God. It's a picture of God's family. It's a picture of heaven where God invites everyone. See, at God's table, everyone's allowed. That's what frustrated the Pharisees because that's what Jesus did. They just wanted to keep it here and Jesus said, no. Come, come in at the table of God. So we want to pursue hospitality. We want to show hospitality to one another. But let's, let's try to do it with those who are different to you. Those who talk different to you. Those who sound different to you. Those who work in a different area. Those who earn, a, not that you know how much they earn, but just people who are different. I reckon you will be encouraged in that experience. And you will, you'll be an encouragement to others. Because that is a true reflection of, of God, but also a true reflection of the gospel. Let's end with this last passage. This is a little bit wacky, this one, I reckon. Isn't it? It says here, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. Um, it says, do, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Same concept of what we've just talked about. For by so doing some people, so some people have done this, have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Ooh, <laughs> Like, what, what is this passage talking about here? That's, that's really interesting, isn't it? Now, there's a few stories. If you know your Bible, you know the Old Testament. Um, Abraham had some strangers come. One who is actually described as being God, the Lord, and three of them. And he invited them in and they had a meal. And so there were angels. So he entertained angels. I think there was also uh, Lot had a similar experience where he entertained angels. Uh, and it's probably referring to that. So, so I, you may have entertained angels, but what I get from this is you don't know what impact you showing hospitality 
to someone will have on them. You just don't know. You may think it was just a meal, or you may think it was just a a bed for the night, but you don't know what impact that is going to have on that person. It could be huge. It could be life-changing. It could be an angel. That's what the, the passage says. Isn't that interesting? Keeps you on your toes. Is this an angel? Oh, no, it's just Anthony. Is this an angel? Oh, no, that's Peter. So, so who, who he keeps you on your toes? I think that's what it's saying. It's just whoever you come across, you show hospitality to. You don't know what impact that will have on that person. Let me end with this story. It's an interesting, funny... No, it's not funny. It's a great example, I think, of, of, of this kind of... You don't know what impact it will have. It's a story of a Bible college student who would drive about, uh, you know, about 30 k's to get to their, their church. And this guy had a habit of p- picking up hitchhikers. Now, I'm not encouraging you to pick up hitchhikers, but he had a habit where he would stop and, and he would pick up hitchhikers. Anyway, one morning, uh, Sunday morning, he was driving to church and he stopped and he picked up a, a, a hitchhiker. And uh, uh, he picked up a young man who was actually uh, wearing a suit of all things, and he was hitchhiking. And he actually stopped and he said, can you take me to church? I don't know if that's ever happened to you before. What a great evangelism technique. Just pull up and they'll, they'll say, can you take me to church? Well, this is what happened to this guy. And he's like, you've got to be kidding me. I, I, I'm going to church. I will take you to church. Of course you can. I, I'll take you. And he, and, and he takes the stranger to church and, and then he went to church. And after church, he was invited over to one of the members of the church or one of the people in the church, he was invited home for lunch. Remember we used to do that? Now we kind of just race off because we're so busy. Kids sport and, uh, you know, got to mow the lawn. I don't even have a lawn, but still got to mow it. We're just so busy. But, but, but he, he got invited over to a member's house for lunch and they connected and they, they shared a meal around the table. Relationship, God, it mirrors God. And while he was there, he received, he received a hot bath. So, so obviously they knew he was on the streets. He, they gave him a bath. They gave him some clothes and a hot meal. In the conversation, he kind of shared that he uh, you know, was living tough. And so they said, well, you can stay here tonight. He was blown away. He was absolutely blown away um, that, that he, he, he actually was a Christian as well. He shared to this, this group of people, I'm a Christian uh, I'm, 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 I'm praying to God that God would do something. And, and he was just blown away that this is, was all kind of happening. Um, anyway, he stayed uh, one night and he, he got his stuff together and, and he said, thank you for having me. Left in the morning. As he got going, he noticed that there was some money put in his bag. Normally it's the other way around. People take it out. But someone, that family had put money in the bag and said, here, Go. It's kind of like the story of the Good Samaritan. You know how he gives the money to the innkeeper? But they put some money in the bag. And, and anyway, several, week, uh, several weeks later, the, the Bible college student received a letter in the mail. And inside the letter was a newspaper clipping. Now, this is the bit where it's kind of different. There's a newspaper clipping with the headline saying, Man turns himself in for murder. The young man was, was a, grew up as a Christian, the young man who he picked up. He was doing an armed robbery. It went wrong, and he actually shot a young, a young boy, I think it is, in the shop, and then he fled. He ran. 
And so, so then he felt like he had to get his life on track with God, didn't he? And so he tried to do that. But, but so he, he gave this letter and it had the newspaper clipping and he said the young man uh, had killed, so he'd killed a boy in attempted robbery and had been running away from the law for some time. But he said that the kindness and hospitality of the Christians had convicted him. Sometimes we think to convict people of their sin, we have to tell them how bad they are. They didn't even mention, what did they do to this guy? They loved him. And God, God is the one that does the convicting. Through God's spirit, he was convicted because of their hospitality. See, when, you, when we do this, we don't know what the outcome's going to be. We don't know what impact it's going to have. And, and he said, by the kindness and hospitality the Christians had, it convicted him. And he wanted to be in fellowship with God. And he knew he needed to, to, to make that right. And so he went to the police station and he handed himself in. Knowing that he was going to jail. What a crazy little story. That these people who show hospitality to this young guy, uh, and not knowing the impact it would have, but that the impact was enormous. Through their love and through their hospitality, this young man is convicted to the point where he hands himself in. We don't know if we're entertaining angels. We don't know the impact of our hospitality. What, we, what are we meant to do? Well, the Bible says we practice or we pursue, we chase down hospitality for one another and we do it with people who are different than us. Can we do that? How about we pray? I'll ask the musos to come. Let's bow our heads. Most gracious Father, I want to thank you. Thank you the rain stopped for a little bit, Lord. We need it, but uh, yeah, we do thank you for that. Father, thank you. Um, I want to thank you for my table. I know everyone around here has different tables and, and, that, and, and what that means, Lord. I thank you for that image that all of us can come to your table. All of us have an invitation. We have full access to your table. So often referred to your table as being a massive banquet. The food doesn't run out. The wine doesn't run out. It's just this massive banquet. And you invite us and say, you sit here. Because of the work of Jesus, you've been accepted and you belong. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray that we individually and collectively as a church here at Lakeside can be people who show hospitality to one another. That we would invite people over for, for a meal and, and a time to connect. But also, Lord, I pray that we would do more than that. I pray that we would do it with people who are different to us. Because when we do that, it reflects your gospel. The gospel is for everyone. Black, white, rich, poor, short, tall. All of it, we all have access. And may we be people, may we be people who reflect and mirror you in all that we do. We ask this, we pray this, in the precious name of your son, Jesus. And everyone said, amen.